Hello, fellow ufologists. Today we have Jim Bauk and Robert Long on the show. Uh, they both are authors, recently published a book, uh, published through uh, Schieffer Publishing. It was published on June 28th of this year, and it is titled Alien Abduction, The Controlling Factor. And I've been looking forward to this interview. I've been talking with Jim a bit on LinkedIn, and uh, when he Talk to me about what his book was about. I'm like, well, we have to have you on the show. So thank you so much, gentlemen, for joining us today. Glad to be here. Our pleasure. So what brought this book about? How did you guys come up with the concept for this book? Jim Jim gave me a call one day about, about oh, gosh, what, seven years ago? <laughs> Something like this. <laughs> Go ahead, Jim. Bob and I have been at this a long time. And uh, Bob's my go-to guy. And I had this aching feeling in me that I cannot understand and that is why is it that people are so willing to go with these aliens be abducted do whatever they want not remember it and they don't fight they don't put up any resistance and they can't remember it and it used to drive me crazy so I decided to do some research into it during my research, I kept coming up with the fact that I don't know all this stuff, and I need to get information from somebody who does. Well, Bob was my assistant state director for MUFON when I was a state director, and he also used to work with Bud Hopkins and the intruders. So since he knew so much more about abductions than I did, he was my trainer, my teacher, and I learned so much from him. So I kept calling him up and asking him, Bob, what do we got to do? What? How do I do this? Or what does this mean? Something. And he would give me the answers. Then I would ask him questions about mechanical things, how cars are affected. And because Bob's a mechanic, he knows cars. So I would call him up with that. Finally, I said, Bob, I'm tired of calling you. Why don't you just join me and we'll do this together? And we did. Bob, your experience with um, in MUFON, like over 25 years, were you predominantly working with people that had abduction cases? Yes, that, that has always been my interest right from, the, right from day one, so to speak. I've worked with over... Oh, gosh, over 100 different abductees over the years, uh, the exact number I've, I've lost along the way. But, uh, you know, it's, a, it's a, a fascination and a desire to help people who, in many cases, are very distraught over these uh, peripheral experiences that they can't really remember or they remember here and there, little bits and snippets and that affect their life. And, uh, you know, it's, it's something that's always been very near to me. Some of the nicest people I've ever met, and many of them I, to this day, call my friends, close friends. And, and when you guys looked into this, what did you find? Was there a diverse group? Is it, uh, you know, certain people have certain job titles? Is it people that are across the board? Like, what, what did you find was the demographic on this? Oh, absolutely across the board. Uh, there, it, it it tends to run along genetic family lines. Um, when when someone is abducted, 
Uh, there's a very good possibility that their parents, one of their parents or both of their parents, have had uh, UFO sightings, close encounters, and and sadly, in uh, in a few cases that I've dealt with, uh, their children were affected. Uh, when their children were very young, uh, they were starting to be abducted as well. So far, like we were talking on the podcast before about the one-offs. Those are the situations where somebody's driving down the road and they just get abducted once. How often did you come across those? Realistically, uh, the only ones that, that get abducted once are the ones that are in close proximity to the target that's being abducted. And they get they get taken as well. Um, most of the times you have someone that's abducted, it is not a one-off uh, situation. It's a case where they only remember one. There's quite often a, a long history starting in their childhood of being abducted, and they only happen to remember one particular instance. So, Jim, how did you get involved in the abduction phenomenon? Yeah, well, basically it's being a part of the ufology uh, research, uh, abduction fell into it. And when I met Bob and we uh, got together and started working together, before then, I was afraid of abduction uh, interviews and dealing with people like that. And I learned, like I said earlier, so much more from Bob about the abductions, and I began to get a little more courage in dealing with them. So I've done, since then, so many interviews of people that have been abducted and try to work with them. I'm nowhere near as good as Bob when it comes to uh, consoling them or, or helping them, but I do mostly the research, the writing down, and try to send them to somebody that would have more knowledge and uh, be better equipped to deal with their problems. Because now we're going to get into a bit of the book. It specifically is a controlling factor. It's the fact that you can be, you know, washing dishes one night and all of a sudden, there's a bright light and you're just going along with everything. And consciously, some people believe their conscience is taken out. What, what have you guys found throughout your investigation? What seems to be the main factor here in the control? Well, first off, um, it's uh, absolutely a, a mental process. Uh, our, our brains are wired a certain way and, uh, these alien beings have learned our wiring. And that's part of the, the absolute control that they seem to have over us. Uh, as far as uh, different types of abduction, yes, you have physical abduction. And in some cases, people say, you know, I had an out-of-body experience and it involved them. Um, one thing that I have found all through the years is everybody who has an abduction experience has some type of mental gifts. Um, they have uh, clairvoyance or they have uh, some other type of uh, special mental abilities about them. 
And now that doesn't mean that if you have some type of uh, empathy or clairvoyance or what have you, that you are an abductee. That's not how it works. But that is one of the seems to be one of the prerequisites to being an abductee. And I believe it's because your brain is wired to a, a greater level of sensitivity and it allows them easier access to you. So somebody who's more open emotionally is that you found in your research is more open or is more prone to have these incidences? Well, you take somebody who has, um, you know, deja vu or something like that. And some people have it a lot more than others. Some people learn to ignore it. Um, but it, it's a it's a special ability that many people have. And it's because you're wired just a little bit differently. And that allows access, so to speak. They can they can break in uh, <clears throat> to you through those sensitivities and allows them to uh, communicate or control you to a greater degree. And throughout this research of this book, have you guys found anybody that you think was fibbing or somebody oh, sure. who was oh, yeah. exaggerating yeah. Sure. what was happening? Yeah. <laughs> Do you guys want to give us like an indication of what to look for when that happens? <laughs> Bob can spot them right away. <laughs> if, if someone is sent to me, uh, they're, they're very, very cautious. Uh, they don't want to talk about it. They, I, I've had people that we've just kind of, uh, you know, been friends for like a year before they opened up. You take someone who, uh, may, may not be an actual experiencer. They're like, Oh, 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 let me tell you about my story. Let me tell you everything that happened to me. Uh, and, and nine times out of 10, someone like that, uh, is just looking to uh, to spoof you or or have a good time, make a joke out of it. For some reason, uh, alien abduction seems to be the taboo subject in ufology. It seems to be like we can talk about the technology uh, technological advances of these crafts. Sure, but if we talk about well, the occupants of the crafts actually now taking us for whatever reason, that becomes a bit taboo or subject that a lot of ufologists don't want to get involved in. But I think they're they're one and the same. Well, abduction is all anecdotal. I mean, if, if there's uh, if there's a UFO sighting, sometimes there's photographic evidence. There's multiple witnesses. There's uh, you know radar uh, tracking. So there there's uh, physical and mechanical uh, involvement when it's uh, an abduction experience. It's all anecdotal. It's someone that has uh, has some type of an experience that is affecting them and it's their story but there's no way that you can quote unquote prove it you know it's no different than a, being in a court of law and, and swearing testimony to something um it, it's different in a court of law because you know if you swear testimony you can send someone to prison for a crime but when you're you know when you experience some type of an abduction event um you know, suddenly it loses a lot of credibility with people who haven't had any type of experience like that or, uh, you know, aren't, aren't opening their mind to the possibility of it. Jim, when did you become more comfortable with the subject of the abduction phenomenon? Oh, probably, uh, I guess, the early 2000s. I started going to some interviews with Bob 
I've met some people. Uh, one of them uh, is closer to me, so Bob had me uh, talk to them more often than he was able to, and I was able to get together with them. And uh, I guess the, mo the more I did it, the more I read about it, I mean, books by people like Hopkins, uh, I learned more. I was more comfortable and, uh, you know, it's basically trying to feel not so much sorry for them, but trying to understand what they were going through because I've never done it. And I'm trying to learn what I can learn from them that I might be able to learn or recognize from somebody else. <clears throat> Everybody doesn't want to talk about it. And a lot of times they're afraid to talk about it. They might call you up and tell you, you know, I just saw a UFO. And you talk to them, you ask them a few questions, and you begin to think, well, there's a little bit more to that. And that's when I started to feel a little more comfortable. I would just relate back to my regular UFO investigating techniques and then try to learn more about what they're going through. They say the devil's in the details. And is there a specific detail that you guys have discovered throughout your research that seems to be current that, you know, the general public or they don't normally talk about on, you know, documentaries or, or books? Is there any details that seem to emerge or patterns that emerge out of this um, investigation well years ago uh, the Betty and Barney Hill abduction story uh, which made uh, made uh, was a look magazine a couple issues of course they've done a TV movie about it and like that uh, one of the things that was left out of that uh, story was the fact that uh, Barney had uh, the genetic material taken from his reproductive organ and that bothered him so much, and everybody thought it was uh, so out there. They decided to leave it out of the book. They left it out of uh, the movie. Uh, so, and, and it's one of those things. It's a very personal, private thing. But, but many, many, many abductees are put through a process where genetic material is harvested, either eggs or sperm, and it's it's one of those things that. Uh, even when uh, even when an abductee is trying to tell you what they remember, tell you their story, they're very hesitant to uh, to go to that level because it's very embarrassing and, and very very personal. Uh, the other thing that that was uh, kind of uh, weird is the fact that uh, the the alien beings have the ability to move you through solid objects when you're being abducted. Um, through walls, through windows, through doors, through ceilings. And that was quite often left out of uh, their, their initial story because while they could uh, somehow uh, wrap their head around the fact that uh, the alien beings were coming out of the UFO and taking them back to the UFO, they couldn't wrap their head around the fact that they were being abducted and floated through a solid wall to end up on the outside of the house. That was just too much 
for them to wrap their head around. So, you know, you didn't always get that initial story. In some cases, I think it was a, a case where people said, well, you know, I went downstairs and I walked out the door because, you know, that wasn't the truth because they said, oh, I can't go through a solid wall. That that That's crazy, you know. So, but, yeah, there's little little bits and pieces like that where, you know, sometimes it's either too personal, too private, too scary, uh, or just too much to wrap their head around. And those bits and pieces get left out initially. And once they, once most abductees find out that other people have had uh, similar experiences, uh, you know, suddenly they'll they'll open up a little bit more, and it all becomes uh, almost like a family. Um, very much so, in fact. I I think most of these people that go through that are afraid to say anything because the first thing in their mind is, I'm not going to be believed. They think I'm making this up because it's so far-fetched. So they are claiming up on it, and they try not to uh, say something that's going to be disbelieved and laughed at. As far as health-wise for these abductees, have you guys found that these are all, like, you know, healthy specimens? Is there any health issues with these abductees? For the, uh, for the most part, everybody is, uh, is healthy. Um, I know one time um, a fellow investigator, Dave Bodner, and I, uh, Dave's long passed away, uh, but uh, we, were, we were investigating a woman who was having experiences, and uh, suddenly she, she disappeared. And when I say disappeared, I mean she checked herself into a psych ward. And when we asked her, you know, why she did that, she says, because I had a choice. I could choose that I was crazy or I could choose that this was actually happening. And if it was actually happening, it scared me. And I'd rather think I'm crazy. So, you know, it, it, it <laughs> the experience has caused people to not be healthy. And when I say that, I mean, you know, I, I've had people that uh, that started drinking, that started doing drugs because uh, they, they tried to escape uh, the, the mental torture of what they were, what was going around in their head, if you will. You know, a lot of times people have an abduction experience and they will never, ever remember it. Uh, maybe never in their life. And quite often they live a whole lot happier because of it. And then you'll get someone who has, uh, you know, a flashback for whatever reason. They, they've, uh, uh, one, one, of, uh, one of my people was uh, over in England at a, at a uh, big business meeting sitting around a table. And uh, the guy across from this person uh, saw the person sitting across from them flipping around a silver pen in their fingers, and suddenly they had a flashback of an alien being holding some type of tool in their hand, and this caused them to freak out. Uh, they had to excuse their self, themselves from the meeting and uh, and go someplace and go, wow, what was that? And from that point on, you know, they, they start looking into what that was. But for the most part, everybody is uh, happy, healthy, um, I can't say I've, I've ever run into someone who had any kind of a, a severely a severe issue with uh, their health. 
I was wondering about the controlling factor. So going back to your book, um, do you find that people have more experiences when they're asleep or when they're awake? What What is your, the ratio there from asleep to awake? Well, uh, just from the point of uh, trying to take someone, it's much easier to take someone in the middle of the night when there's uh, <laughs> there's fewer witnesses and other issues that need to be dealt with. However, the people have been taken from, uh, you know, uh, walking along the beach in the middle of the day. They've been taken from from downtown, downtown Manhattan. <laughs> They've been taken, uh, you know, from like Jim said, from uh, from moving cars. Uh, they they pretty much uh, they pretty much take you whenever they they desire to, but by and large the predominant uh, abduction happens at night when someone is taken from their from their bedroom. And what about the debate that it could be sleep paralysis? Like, what's your stance on that? Well, sleep paralysis definitely happens. I mean, your your brain. Uh, secretes chemicals that uh, cause you to uh, be paralyzed during your REM sleep. Uh, if it didn't, you'd be acting out your dreams and probably running around your bedroom and, and, and half killing yourself by running into things. Uh, and that hypnopomic and hypnagogic uh, issues happen when you're both uh, just going to sleep and both waking up. However, uh, many of the people who do experience something like that, they or, or, or have an abduction experience, let me clarify that, they often refer to them as dreams. They had a, a weird dream with aliens into it. Now, when it comes to dreams, uh, you know, everybody uh, dreams. Everybody has wild and crazy dreams. Why do you have wild and crazy dreams? Because your subconscious doesn't know what's what's possible and what isn't possible. It, it, it is free of reality. It, you, if you dream something, say you dream you're in your bedroom, and uh, except the bedroom is a different color, it's much bigger, the windows are on the opposite side, there's a giraffe in the corner, and you don't, uh, you know, it's, it's totally unlike your bedroom. But yet in your dream, you're perfectly convinced it is your bedroom because your brain takes everything at face value. Your subconscious takes everything at face value. When somebody relates uh, an experience or a dream, referring to it as a dream, I'll ask them about, um, you know, tell me about the dream. Tell me specifically about the dream. Was there was there anything askew in the dream, or was your dream, say, set in your bedroom, and everything is exactly as it is in reality? The only thing difference, the only thing different was that you had uh, three little gray aliens by your bed or was it was it totally different than it is and they'll think about it and they'll they'll either tell me yeah it was uh there was a giraffe in the corner and i'll say well you know what there's a very good possibility that was just plainly a dream <laughs> and if they say no everything was exactly as it is in real life except for these alien beings well it's a good chance that it's it's a a memory that they're interpreting as a dream because interpreting it as a dream is very safe. And I can certainly understand that. Uh, you know, if I had something like that, I'd say, wow, I, I, that was a wild dream. And I would just like to leave it that way, <laughs> you know? So, but, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's basically how that works.
Have you guys had much experience with kids that have had incidences or is it mostly adults that mentioned that as kids they were taken? Myself has been mostly adults. Um, however, they, uh, it, it's been relating with adults that have kids uh, that I've dealt with from time to time. Uh, one, one of the most gut-wrenching stories uh, that I ever heard was a gentleman who I was working with, and uh, he he had come to deal with uh, his his abduction experiences. He didn't like them, but it you know it was enough that uh, he could he could deal with them. He had a young son. Uh, son was oh gosh, I'm trying to think maybe five. Um, he got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, and he walked by his son's room. And there was a, a blue light coming from under the door. And he was absolutely terrified. He said, oh, oh, my God, they're here for my son. And he stood outside the door for what seemed to him uh, an eternity. He wanted to rush in and save his son, but he was so terrified by what, by what he was going to see when he opened that door. Uh, he, he just froze. And eventually, uh, he gathered up uh, enough uh, enough uh, courage to turn the doorknob and throw it open, ready for whatever he was going to see. And what he saw was his son falling asleep on the floor in front of the TV set, and the TV was on, and that's where the blue light was coming from. At which point, he, he picked up his son, laid down on the floor, and cried. And, you know... It, there's nothing worse than parents who are having experiences that suddenly discover that their kids are having experiences too. That wasn't the case in that particular situation. But uh, I remember a, a, a good friend of mine, her son uh, was uh, picking up his toy soldiers and uh, there was a, there was a sunbeam coming in the window. You know how you have a beam coming in the window and you can see the dust in the air and like that. He was picking up his little toy soldiers and holding them up into this beam and letting go of them. They were falling to the floor. And he was a little frustrated by this. And when asked what he was doing, he says, well, they're supposed to stay in the beam and float. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. So, you know, then you go, oh. <laughs> yeah, their interest with kids is very high because even when we're looking at, um, you know, recently rediscovering, it seems like everybody's rediscovering the aerial school phenomenon in Zimbabwe. And not only that, but there's throughout history, I mean, these UFOs appear at schools, wherever kids seem to be located, their, their interest in youth is very high sort of idea on what's going on but obviously it's related to genetics and the the hybrid factor how much have you guys come across this whole hybrid thing because mostly it's about taking eggs or sperm but then there's also this interbreeding that we hear a lot um how how much have you guys come across that quite often a female abductee uh when she's uh you know she's been abducted a few times and she's been a donor uh of eggs Quite often they will be uh, abducted and they will be shown uh, small infants that are obviously a cross between human and whatever these alien beings are. 
And uh, not only is she told that they are her children, uh, she feels it. She feels uh, it in, in in her body, in her heart, that they are indeed hers. And they are encouraged to interact with them and specifically touch them. They, they are told that they need to, need to be caressed and held uh, because it will be good for them. It will, it will save their life in some instances. Um, so, you know, you'll see the, I mean, I've, the, the hybrid thing has been going around for years. I mean, you know, considering back in the 60s, They've been taking uh, genetic material uh, with uh, theoretically the optimum goal of uh, creating some type of hybrid. So now we're talking about decades of this going on uh, for whatever reason. But children, uh, children also are, are always contacted if they're, if they're going to be an abductee, if their parents are abductees and children are going to be abductees. They're, they're taken when they're very young, because when a child is young, um, they believe uh, everything at face value. They, they, they don't know enough to be scared in some instances. You know, they, uh, they believe in many things. And, uh, you know, a, a gray being with big eyes talking to them on a regular basis eases them in to become uh, an easier abductee later on. Initially, children are not abducted and taken, you know, into anything that's uh, invasive. It's basically contact, talking with them. Uh, you know, occasionally you'll you'll hear of a young boy referring to them as the the little doctors that come in the night. So obviously, he's being examined in some uh, you know benign way. But you know it doesn't uh, it doesn't turn ugly until they usually uh, come to the point where their reproductive systems are are coming online. Are we theorizing that these are the same entities that come time and again for these people? That it's the same uh, entities that perform the first, uh, let's say, medical examination, or is, is there a repeat of a certain being that? Some of them seem to know them by a name, and they they know them by a name, and they almost expect them at certain times. And when it happens, they they they're able to communicate in some degree with them. Uh, over that, it's I think that most of the time it is the same entity that is coming. Other times, you might they might be in a place where another entity is going to take them and do the same thing and go through the same process. It's it's an equivalent of a handler, someone that the abductee is familiar with that that makes things go a little bit smoother. You know, it's not all these these strange beings. It's like it's a feeling. It's It's a connectedness with this one being where they're, yeah, they're they're talking to you, and you hear them in in your head, and they're saying, "Okay, everything's fine. You're going to be fine. This is, you know, we're going to take care of you here and put you back and and try to soothe them, try to calm them. Uh, anything, you know, I mean, you know, the last thing they want is is um, Duck D getting all upset and running around their craft. I mean that that 
that has happened. They, they don't want to do like tra- <laughs> Travis Walton, just go running off somewhere into the. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, his his story was good because I mean he had a lot of um, just a little details. I always think the devil's in the details for me was uh, Eddie and Barney Hill uh, when you know listening to those tapes, especially when Barney is under hypnosis. And he's talking about looking at the craft through binoculars. He was out, he had pulled over on the side of the road. He was a little bit ahead of the car. And the minute he looked through the binoculars, he could see the occupants and the one that he called the leader that was looking at him through the binoculars and telling him in his mind and controlling him and telling him, don't move, stay exactly where you are, don't move. And he had to fight that urge to get out of that controlling factor. So is it possible to get out of their mental control? Sure. Sure. But uh, one of the reasons uh, that we wrote the book is to let people know that you can do that. You can break this. It's not a case of you have absolutely no choice because you can. There there are things uh, essentially that we've come to the conclusion of that they're using our own bodies against us, for example. Uh, everybody says, okay, during when the abduction starts, they, they feel it ahead of time. They get very antsy, anxious. Uh, they may sleep with the lights on. They, they know something's going to happen. And they're laying in their bed, and suddenly they can't move. Well, okay, uh, they've figured out our, our brain physiology, so they're ex- causing our brain to exude the same chemicals that, that stops us in REM sleep. Okay, from from moving about and hurting ourselves. The reason I say that is in REM sleep, rapid eye movement, sleep. Okay, the only thing that does move has the ability to move. It's not paralyzed. It are your eyes? And when an abductee says, "Oh yeah, they," uh, I was frozen. I couldn't move a thing. And uh, okay, well, you're staring up at the ceiling. You couldn't see anything but the ceiling. No, I was. I I could move my eyes. Okay, so it's it's the same process that they have learned to use against us. Uh, once once you realize that it's not magic, it's not technology that is so far ahead of us that uh, you know it's just impossible. Once you understand a little bit of this has a mechanical or physiological nature to it, then you realize that you have a little control. Uh, one one fellow I worked with. He uh, he was always looking for a way of, of tricking them or, or, or having some type of uh, control in his abduction. And uh, when he was abducted, he lived in a he lived in a trailer, and it had uh, as most most single wide trailers have a long hallway down one side, and they, they always came down that hallway into his bedroom. And he uh, he decided that he was going to try and trip them with a trip wire, but he. He said, okay, if, if I put that tripwire there, I'm going to be thinking about that tripwire, and they're going to read my mind and know that it's there. So he uh, he set up this tripwire, and he tried as hard as he could to think about anything but that tripwire. And sure enough, uh, the abduction happened. Uh, they came down, walking down the hallway, and the first little gray alien tripped over the tripwire. And... You know, the other two were looking down at the, their, uh, you know, 
abduction mate there that, and, and looking up at him, and they were just like dumbfounded that this could happen. And and from that point on, uh, he was a totally different uh, human being. He he had affected some control in his abduction. He had done something to them that they couldn't stop. <laughs> so, you right, know, after, after, right, gave him a sense of control. Yeah. 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 There have been people that would tie themselves to bed. <laughs> oh, really? Yep. <laughs> and how did that work out? Well, it didn't work out all the time, I think. Because, well, for one thing, if they can take you through a wall or a ceiling, they can take you through the rope. Yeah. Yeah, materials, nothing. Yeah. There's nothing stopping them. Uh, the, the children always seem to respond to the parents. Um, you know, there there is a, there is a, a some type of a bond there. One of the, one of the aspects of abduction, and again, uh, it has to do totally with uh, the genetics of the people that are being abducted. As I said before, everyone who is abducted has some special mental acuities uh, that that they have. Um, I. I I hate to call it, uh, you know, uh, psychic ability, but that's, uh, I, I guess that's a good common word for it. Uh, and a person that has a specific amount of psychic abilities is connected differently than someone that doesn't. They, they have, uh, a, again, a sixth sense, if you will. And while that also allows uh, the aliens better access to them mentally, uh, it also shows an interaction because of that ability to other abductees, uh, to other people in general. It's like I said, the abductees that I've worked with are some of the nicest people I have ever met. Just wonderful people. I have I have never met an abductee that was was uh, was nasty or or foul. They're just great great people. The uh, uh, rather someone who's an empath or, or someone that is, uh, you know, they, they, they connect with you on, a, on an emotional feeling level. Um, you're going to see that, uh, that same connectedness with, uh, other abductees. So when, uh, say when we used to go to the MUFON symposiums, a scientific symposium that they have once a year in the U S and, uh, at night, uh, after after hours, you would see all the abductees that have shown up congregating in a couple of rooms. And I was always very fortunate because of, of my bond with many of these people to be invited up to their rooms. And it, it's like it's like a, a gathering of long lost family. People who have never met before are are because they feel each other. They, they, uh, one abductee will get a sense from another person they've never met if they are really an abductee. There's a connection there, and I can't really, I can't really explain it much more than that. But it, again, it goes back to the original genetics. Of, they have the proclivity to have some type of a psychic ability that allows them a sensitivity where they can, uh, you know, connect on a much finer level than the average person. 
Is it, is it possible that this empath or that this <clears throat> clairvoyance or whatever this mental ability that they have, since it's a genetic thing, since it seems to be running through family lines, is that something that could have been given given to them over time by these experiences, like by these entities? Because uh, we, we were saying that maybe it's innate to the person, but what if it's genetically modified into them over time? I don't. I don't necessarily think that's the case because you have people that do have some type of uh, psychic ability that have never been abducted, never seen a UFO. It just hasn't affected them at all. So, you know, we have uh, th there seems to be other genetic requirements to be an abductee other than than being uh, psychic, if you will. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I would say that's probably not the case. It's, it's a case of they have to be psychic to be abducted, but just because you're psychic does not mean you are going to be abducted. There have to be other prerequisites uh, in your genetics that, that fit the bill. Now, as far as the religious aspect, because uh, there's a lot of people that, because the thing is, ufology is quite a mixed bag, but some people are mixing the religious aspect with the abduction phenomena, meaning that they think that these are demons that are taking them in the night. Um, of course, not calling them aliens because it doesn't fit the box that um, religion sort of forces you into. Uh, how often have you guys run into any of that? Is anybody from a religious community reaching out? Or is it mostly people that are you know, considered heathens? Some, some people, uh, again... Uh, when someone is dealing with an abduction experience, uh, they'll develop certain certain tools to help them cope with it. And if they want to say or relate to it as a uh, um, a religious experience, if that helps them deal with it, um, then, then so be it. And there certainly have been a few over the years. Uh, years ago, a friend of mine who was a uh, a counselor. She uh, she was a religious counselor, and uh, I gave her I gave her John Mack's book on abduction to read because she she knew peripherally that I was into this stuff and she didn't understand it at all, and I wanted her uh, opinion on it. So she read Mack's book, and uh, I said, "So what what'd you think?" And first thing out of her mouth was, "They're demons." <laughs> so. So it depends on it depends on your background, depends on where you're coming from. Um, I, I personally don't believe they're demons, but they're certainly responsible for an awful lot of uh, upset uh, for the people that are being taken. I mean, I've uh, you know, I, I've seen uh, hypnotic regressions where people are reliving their experience and, and they are they are very distraught. They are upset. They are crying and just it, it's it's gut wrenching to watch and uh you know I, yeah yeah i mean some some people are are so upset during their hypnotic regression that they wake them, themselves up they bring themselves out of it so there's no pleasant experience as far as you guys no, like nobody's saying, oh, it's it's always so pleasant. Not with me. I haven't come across it. I, I, I wouldn't say that. Some people have, have come to um, embrace their relationship with them. And certainly it, you, you have 
all kinds of uh, all kinds of uh, types of people. You know, so some people uh, I, I know a guy that would uh, he would gladly strangle every one of me that he could ever get his hands on. And uh, others that that welcome the experience that, oh, gosh, I haven't been I haven't seen them in a while. And I, I really feel that I miss them. So, no, not every not every experience is gut wrenching. But I think because um, every, every researcher uh, and any abduction researcher out there tends to, I guess, attract a certain number or a certain type of abductee. And a lot of times people are referred to me. They were referred to me either by MUFON or by someone else in the, uh, in the UFO field. And it's because they uh, they were having issues, they were having problems. It was not a, a good experience. So a lot of times, that was the type of people that I would see on a regular basis, the ones that were were very distraught over their experience. Um, you know, and and some people, uh, you know, that's not the case. But those weren't the people that I generally saw. They they were going to see someone else. You know, it, uh, I guess. Uh, I guess I'd I'd kind of gotten the reputation of uh, of trying to help the people and and console them and and make them realize that uh, you know they weren't alone and they 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 could get through this give them uh, whatever they needed uh, emotionally to to prop themselves up. And Jim, you worked with uh, on your book UFOs Above the Law. Have you found any police officers to have any similar incidences as abductees? Yeah, there there have been a few. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, I'm not remembering the exact date or time, but somewhere out, I believe it was around Iowa or Ohio area. One police officer was out on patrol, and he just didn't remember what had happened. He'd lost. Sometime he went back. He had seen a UFO, but he didn't recall being abducted. Not right away. And it took a, a few days with some problems that he had. And he went to see a uh, therapist. It, talked to him, found out that something had happened at a certain time. Went through hypnosis, discovered that he had been abducted. And it affected his job. He eventually had to quit when he found out because he couldn't handle it anymore. He was afraid of what was going to happen. That one I think we cover in actually my second UFO Above the Law book, which has just been finished, and we cover abductions in that one. That should be going out to the publisher sometime soon. And uh, we, we cover that story in that one and a few other ones that have been abducted, don't remember right away. And most times it's bad because it, the effect that it has has cost them either a job or a family uh, or friends. So they don't want to talk about it. They're expected to be the brave person out there. That can handle everything. And they can't. No more than you or I or Bob or anybody else can do it. They're, they're humans. 
Yeah, and if you're inside a police cruiser with a gun and a shotgun next to you, fully dressed, bulletproof vest, and you still get taken, uh, that just goes to show you that it doesn't matter how much you arm yourself or how above, um, you know, in society or human society you may be, these things don't care. Yeah, they're going to control you either way. Yeah, which is scary. Uh, as far as professions, though, this is something that, you know, the lawyers, doctors, you know, those are people that are susceptible or are taken as well. Um, as far as professions, have you guys run across any of those things where even the medical professional uh, is thinking this is happening to them? Profession. Profession doesn't seem to, to uh, come into it. Everybody... It doesn't matter what their profession is. The only thing that I notice is when you have someone who's uh, in law enforcement or a doctor, lawyer, uh, whatever, you know, a a professional uh, person like that that has a reputation, they're much less likely to come forward or or want anything to ever come out because they feel it would damage uh, their profession. So, but it, it, uh, yeah, I've talked, I've talked to cops, I've talked to aircraft pilots, uh, you know, you name it. Yeah, I, I've got this one person that I still see and I work with who is, was in law enforcement. He's retired. He was a uh, corrections officer and he had this experience in which he videotaped a UFO and when I had asked him about it and tried to get more information, and I'd tell him, you know, well, after you saw the UFO, what did you do? And he told me he'd go put the camera away. And I said, then what? And he, he couldn't remember. He couldn't remember anything the whole night. The next day, uh, he was his next conscious recollection. But it took him eight days before he realized that he even took the UFO picture uh, or the video, and he couldn't understand. It drove him crazy for years as to why he could not remember anything. I didn't want to come out and tell him what I thought about it because I wanted this to be something that he would determine his himself and try to get an idea of. He had done a lot of reading and on UFOs and eventually he went to visit Bud Hopkins and Bud put him through a regression in which uh, as much as he wanted to to learn or the, the, the person wanted to learn when he got to a certain point in the regression he said I, I don't want to know anymore I'm scared so he ended it I hear that from males quite a bit, that it's the males that seem to be freaked out more than females. Has that been the case for you guys? Well, <laughs> this this one person that I was just telling you about had a dual sighting with his wife, and she was the one who freaked out because he was sitting in his car oblivious to what was going on other than looking at this UFO. While not realizing it, his wife had been taken. And when she returned, when she returned, uh, she freaked out. 
and wanted him to get out of there. It's time to leave. We have to go. They know we're here. Go. He didn't want to go. He wanted to see more. She started to beat on him. She was punching and hitting. and So he finally left and went home. Because that's another aspect um, of it as well, or the people that are could be with you and just somehow are, are no longer responsive, or is it time froze? And the person who's being taken seems to be the only one who's consciously aware of what's taking place. Is this an occurring thing? Like, how many people that are married have their spouse have incidences as well? Because I don't, I don't hear the spouses being taken as much, but obviously they would have to at some point. Yeah, it, it, both spouses, uh, if they're they have a history of being abducted or not, if if they're both uh, genetically compatible to be abducted, uh, generally speaking, you'll find uh, one or the other. Uh, is genetically compatible. So one is suspended in uh, animation and the other one is taken. Um, I've, I've talked with people before that uh, this broke up their marriage because, uh, you know, uh, say the husband is being taken, the, the wife is scared to death. She's never taken, but she's peripherally aware of the, the circumstances. Or even worse, their their children are being taken. And the protective mother holds against, uh, say, the father, and uh, they end up breaking up uh, and going their separate ways because of it. And it's it's uh, it's terrible to see something like that happen. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> they could file for divorce under seeing someone else. <laughs> He's gone at all hours of the night. I just can't do it. <laughs> as as far as yeah, as far as entities, are we always talking about the greys, or is there different uh, descriptions that you guys have been given? The the other species, um, primarily, most of the abduction. Uh, cases that I've worked on has dealt with the uh, with the small grays. They are the ones, uh, the, the worker drones, if you will. They're they're the ones in charge, charged with uh, you know pickup and delivery, so to speak. Uh, you've got longer, uh, taller uh, grays that are usually above them, and then uh, quite often you'll find uh, some insectoid type creature looks very similar to a praying mantis that, that is higher in echelon too of course you th those are the ones that i hear about are the small grays the tall grays and the uh, uh, the praying mantis type creatures uh, i've i've only had one where it dealt with the reptilian beings and of course i i haven't had anything that dealt with the nordics the tall blonde uh, beings I don't. I don't believe that they're a, a hybrid. I think that they're their own species. And of course, as we know now in our in our universe, uh, I mean the the number of uh, number of worlds out there that can sustain life that we know of, you know, life as our uh, that we would relate to, are billions. I mean, you've got you've got uh, thanks to the Hubble telescope. Showing us uh, the 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 
billions and billions of galaxies out there that are full of uh, millions and millions of planets. You know, so it stands to reason that more than one species is probably going to have the ability to travel uh, through space, through time, uh, however they're doing it, through dimension. And, you know, you're getting more than one species that because, uh, you know, a, a space traveler with similar technology may meet up from time to time. And, and, and it appears that they're working together in, in some cases. Because there is some mention of humans or humanoid looking entities. Uh, I think even Travis mentioned that the men and women that he saw were a lot taller than he was, but he said it was in their eyes. You can tell their eyes were not human, but they're humanoid. Otherwise you would, you know, from a distance, assume it was a human. Uh, it, I don't know if it's part of the hybrid program uh, or if it's a different species, but how often have you guys heard about those? Oh, I think there's different ones. I, I know this one woman who uh, her husband had been, had had experiences with the gray beings. But she told him one day, she said, I had this dream, she said, and that's how she recalled it as a flashback from a dream. But she said, this gray being came into the, the bedroom, took her out, uh, and they went to a wooded area where the UFO was, and this, uh, uh, what was it, lizard-type being, reptilian, came and reprimanded the great being because they said, why did you bring her here? We can't use her. And the reason why was because she couldn't have, the reptilian seems to be the one that's always higher in rank. At least that's the way I, I've heard them. I was going to say, even in our uh, recent article that uh, was published, said that in our own galaxy, there's over 300 million planets exactly like Earth. So we are not, you know, our planet's not that special. Um, but as we're spiraling in that galaxy, we're going inwards uh, in the center. We're, there probably is a cluster of civilization. So it could be that they're preparing us for when we round that corner, we finally join. I don't know. But it's weird that it's it's just weird that it's the graves uh, that we or seem to be hybrid, that they're not hybridizing with any of the lizards or the prey mantis ones. It seems like whatever reason the DNA is with the graves, which that is the, the, the point of interest. It's kind of like, why? Are they more genetically suited to be able to manipulate the DNA to suit what they're trying to do. I, I would, I would assume so. You know, it, I mean, if we're talking about life forms from planets that are, you know, uh, light years away, there's no reason to believe that they're just like us or compatible. Uh, they may not even have a quote unquote gene like we do. Uh, we don't know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Well, seeing their, their materials, like their metals, the way that they're manipulating their metals and elements, I mean, they could manipulate DNA easily if they have that technology. Well, you, you see, that's just it. Their technology is not endless. And, and that's another thing that I tried to uh, express in our book. 
Uh, take, for example, when someone is taken through a wall. Okay, that sounds pretty incredible. Um, but there are limitations to what they can take you through. And, and this came up after, uh, you know, repeatedly talking with numerous abductees. And you would catch certain things like people were taken out through a window, a solid glass window, or even a window that had bars on it. In, in a couple of instances, or they were taken through the ceiling, or they were taken out through a wall, but only a certain section of wall. Or in one case, uh, I had someone that was taken out of their bedroom, down the hall, and out through the wall of their shower. And that's how they were, that's how they were always taken. And I was, I was talking to Dave Jacobs one time, and he goes, I had one of those. I had someone that was taken out through their shower. You know, and, and uh, <laughs> uh, Dan, Dan Wright, who used to be uh, head of uh, head of uh, abduction research with MUFON, bless you. Um, he uh, he had. I was talking to him, and he said, "I had one of those." So now we got we have three cases where someone was specifically taken out through their bathroom shower, and it dawned on me. That what do all of what do windows, doors, uh, ceilings, walls, and bathroom shower walls all have in common? It's the lack of electrical wiring. It, that screws up the process. And there was at least one abductee that was told when they're going through the wall, do not touch the wires. Oh wow. Yeah, it, it uh, you know, it, uh, I after talking with Dave and, and uh, talking with Dan Wright, you know, it's like, hey, this hey, this is something special here. This is this is something. Why why would they take them out through the wall of the shower? Because it's totally devoid of wiring. Some houses have very little wiring. Some houses have a lot of wiring. Uh, you know, if you have a, a section of ceiling in an old house, there's probably no wires into it. Or, you know, they're taken the same exact way every time because that is the path of least resistance. There's no wiring there that's going to screw it up. So there are there are limitations to it. Uh, what happens when you touch the wire going through the wall? I don't know, but apparently it's not good. So it's probably safe to say that Nikola Tesla never got uh, taken. Every investigator has a case that usually for them sticks out the most. Jim, do you have a case that to you is like the one that you keep coming to often or refer to often? Oh yeah. It's my favorite. <clears throat> uh, it's the same person. In fact, it's the same person I mentioned earlier. Uh, and he happens to be the co-writer of my book, UFOs above the law. Because we were both law enforcement officers, we decided to go that way. But uh, Frank, I'll just use his first name. Frank was the one who videotaped the UFO, saw it, uh, went, put the camera away, and had no recollection. Eventually, what we found out was, after he had put his camera away, he started to walk out again, and apparently he saw this gray being in his kitchen. The camera was on the table in the dining room. He was walking back to the kitchen. He and the being 
both started to rise up in the kitchen toward the ceiling. And he did go through the ceiling. And he can recall even seeing the, the plywood and the nails in the wood and going up to the craft when he got out. Looking down, he could see his wife down on the ground who was frozen. She wasn't moving. And as he approached the craft, it started to open. And could see inside, and that's when he freaked out. And he kept yelling, I don't want to do this anymore. I didn't want to go through this. And uh, so the regression was ended, and he knew what had happened. He knew what that missing time was and why. So he was satisfied with life the way it is. He didn't need to go any further. And like I said earlier, he is the same one whose wife had been abducted while he was frozen in the car. They were both law enforcement officers. Oh, wow. And you got to think, well, what does that do to your relationship? I mean, you never feel secure at home. And if you're a police officer, you have kids, you're afraid your kids are being taken from your own house. Like, I just think about that insecurity issue that must cause. Well, they had three kids and each of them have had their own experiences. Yeah, I can't imagine what that would be like to fear for your kids like that, to know that you're powerless to do anything against it. But they're all adults now, so they're able to handle it. I don't know. I haven't talked to them in years so I'm not sure if they're still having their experiences. And, and Bob, do you have a, a, a case uh, that to you sticks out the most? Oh, uh, boy. You, you know, it's I, I become so involved with the, the cases that I work on. I, I think it would be unfair <laughs> to all of them I've worked with to single one particular one out. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's an emotional roller coaster that I, I go on with them, you know, reliving their experiences and, and, uh, you know, probing into, uh, what they've experienced and, and how they feel about it. And, and, uh, it, it's, uh, you know, as I've said before, I've, I've, uh, met some of the most incredible people uh in in my study of this people that uh, that feel like family to me that uh, you know when we see each other after a long period of time it's it's uh, it's hugs uh, because we've shared in a sense we've shared an experience i've shared their experience uh and helped them through which i i get an incredible uh, incredibly great feeling trying to help people through this. It's, uh, you know, it, one particular experience, uh, they're, they're all incredible. They're all just absolutely fantastic uh, experiences on an emotional level. And, uh, you know, I, I, it's just my, um, it's just my effort to help. If, if a new, you know, say field investigator comes across a case like this, feels obviously that they should 
be referring to somebody, what what would you recommend them to do to reach out to somebody? Um, what, what should they do if they think they have an abduction case on their hands? I'd have them call MUFON or contact an investigator or a state director and be referred to uh, the person in charge of abductions now for MUFON. It's Kathleen Marden. And she, I'm not quite sure what the name of her group is called now again. Uh, but they're the ones that are really doing a lot of the fact, Kathleen did the uh, foreword in our, our book. And I can tell you, yeah, she wrote the foreword. And she is the, uh, let's see, what is it? MUFON Director of Experiencer Research. And uh, she's it's part of the Edgar Mitchell Foundation for Research into Extraterrestrial and Extraordinary Encounters. She's a board of director member of that too. So she would be the person to contact and, and go through their program. And she happens to be the niece of Betty and Barney Hill. So uh, perfect person to talk to. And Bob, are you thinking you're going to write another book? Because this is your first book. Uh, I'm working on, well, I will be working on two of them. Uh, a long time, uh, a long time friend and abductee of mine has, uh, she, uh, she would like to have her story told and, uh, she, she has agreed to let me write it. So, uh, we're going to be starting that after the first of the year. And, uh, I've, I've got other interests, uh, along the lines of, uh, psychic abilities and like that and how they relate to the abduction. And I've started working on a, a separate book uh, along those lines, trying to dig into uh, the the exact possible causes or, or how it works. And uh, Jim, you are working on, you said number two for UFOs uh, Above the Law, right? Book number two? We, we changed the name of it to this time, though. It's called Police Files or police, the UFO files. We didn't want it to be confused with the first book, so we changed the name on it. The book has just been finished. Uh, the foreword was written by uh, Dr. Bruce Maccabee, and it's going to be going to the publisher probably within the next week or two. Uh, I want to thank you both for your time today. Like I, I'm, I'm blown away by the generosity of experts like yourselves and just the time that you have given us and, and uh, this podcast. And uh, so on behalf of myself and the listeners, I thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you, Liz. We appreciate the uh, the publicity and uh, love to talk about this all the time. And buy our book. <laughs> buy the book. Yes, buy the book. So that's Alien Abduction, The Controlling Factor, which again is available on most of the platforms. So uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, you've got Indigo and Chapters as well. That you can